Well, in the past 24 hours, North Carolina has added more than 900 new COVID-19 cases to its counts. 43 deaths have been reported in that same time. In Wake County, more than 100 cases were added in the last day. Statewide, more than 25,700 people have tested positive and 878 people have died. And today, lawmakers voted to partially reopen bars despite the governor's order that they stay closed during phase two. Governor Cooper is expected to veto the bill. COVID-19 claimed the life of a young, vibrant local woman with so much ahead of her. She was only 29. Dulce Garcia recently passed away after being diagnosed with the virus. WREL's Leslie Moreno joins us live with that young woman's story and how her family is trying to cope. Leslie? And David, Dulce Garcia was an interpreter here at UNC Hospitals in Chapel Hill. Her family tells me she fought the virus for two weeks. Unfortunately, she lost that battle on Tuesday morning. Her family now left to pick up the pieces. 29 years young and gone too soon. It took away her oxygen and she couldn't breathe. And, uh, took, took her away from us. Those who had the pleasure of meeting Dulce Garcia say she was a sweet and caring person. Who would give every, everything to her family and friends and never, ever ask for anything in return. And I mean, if I could just have as much strength as she did. Dulce was the sole provider for her parents. Her family always feared her being exposed at work. They just never thought it would actually happen to her. We just didn't expect, you know, of course, nobody would expect something like this, especially at her age. Yes, the virus is real. I know some people don't believe it, but it is. Um, and unfortunately, it got to my sister. Garcia worked as an interpreter for patients who did not speak English. We reached out to UNC hospitals. A spokesman tells us they believe she contracted coronavirus in the community, not at work, adding... Dulce was truly a healthcare hero, known for always having a smile and for her selfless commitment to others, especially patients and coworkers. Hey, we're just we're gonna miss her dearly. Giovanni Garcia last saw his sister before she was diagnosed with the virus. He wishes he would have known that was the last time he was going to see her. We love her. We miss her, and I mean, she she could see the support that the community has given us. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, the family did set up GoFundMe pages to help with funeral expenses and really to help her family through what is such a difficult time. Of course, we'll have those on our website at WRAL.com. David? Such a young life, and I'm sure she has already missed terribly. Leslie, thank you. Today, we saw the highest number of hospitalizations yet statewide. Here's what the governor had to say about that. We are concerned about the number of hospitalizations for COVID-19 continuing to go up. This is why we're in phase two right now and not opening everything up. Uh, this is why we think we need to stay in phase two for a while to see how these numbers go. Now, our percentage positives are, are still low. 
Testing continues to increase every week, so that percentage positive is a better indicator of how widespread the virus may be. The COVID-19 pandemic has crippled many nonprofit organizations that help meet the extraordinary needs of our community. WRL's Laura Levine explains how Duke's Fuqua School of Business is helping those groups whose mission is helping others. Whether it's a local food pantry or charity, surviving while serving is the main challenge for nonprofits restructuring how they give back. Students and alumni from Duke's Fuqua School of Business are using their skills to help them navigate through this crisis. Our students were actually doing fundraisers for hospitals in China before COVID had really come into the U.S. Assistant Dean Jeremy Petronka's students were thinking about the effect the coronavirus would have on nonprofits early on. I think it's kind of under the radar because for-profit companies are having such difficulties. But you're talking about reduced giving. You're talking about um, strategic complete realignments. The Fuqua Volunteer Corps was created to support 501Cs facing these significant challenges like the Institute for Environmental Innovation that supplies farmers with technology and resources. They're going to be able to help us with extracting value out of the data in our databases um, to give value back to the farmers as well as our leadership team. Volunteers are spending 20 hours a week helping with anything from financial modeling to business strategies to automation and machine learning. We basically give that access to the students and they get to select the ones that really fit their skills the time that they have, and then also their interest. For other hands-on nonprofits like Urban Ministries of Durham, the challenges are different. So we're trying to help people get housing. We're providing food, assisting people with employment and, and other services. So how do we maintain those core services? No matter the circumstances, the students' efforts bring hope for the future. But we've been able to continue and, and we're excited and think actually we might be able to emerge from this terrible time even stronger than we were before. The group is working on more than 40 projects so far. Nonprofits can apply on their website where dozens of volunteers are waiting to assist their needs. Laura Levine, WREL News, Durham. While the state remains in phase two on reopening, some groups are taking legal action and there's a new group pushing for gyms to open open safely. Doug Wharf is a VP with O2 Fitness. Doug, you were with us last week. You said you felt like you'd been hit at least in the gut is what you could say. Have you had time to regroup? Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, and I think that was, uh, as my wife put it, professionally peeved last week. But uh, yeah, we've had a chance to regroup, and I think a key part anytime something like that happens is you have to look at the two sides and, you know, look at what side we played in that. And I think as we began to talk to some of our counterparts and fitness leaders, you know, we didn't do our part in educating both the governor and Secretary Cohen on what we're doing in other states to keep people safe, how we feel cleaner and healthier than anything that's open right now. And we needed to do our part in that. They've got enough to look at. And we kind of dropped the ball on getting to them with, with kind of the information that we put together. Well, so, tell me uh, about the specifics of the plan. Yeah, so we worked uh, kind of all since we talked last almost uh, with leaders from different fitness industries. So we've got together with, uh, with Planet Fitness, with Orange Theory Fitness, Crunch, and TrueFit, which is a gym on the Eastern Coast. Um, and we've put together a 14-step, 53-point plan that it creates a terrific baseline that can be used across the state. It focuses on cleanliness, employee care, and member care, 
as well as spacing and suggest what should and shouldn't be open inside of gyms as we roll through phase two into phase three and beyond. Yeah, Doug, you know, last week I asked the governor specifically and I asked Dr. Cohen, what about gyms made their decision be their decision? And Dr. Cohen talked about when we're exercising, we push more particles out uh, of our mouth and our noses. If that's true, how do you protect against that when those droplets could go a farther distance than six feet? Yeah, you know, I think it's very true, right? And that can happen anywhere, uh, greenways, trails, anything that you may see. But inside of our clubs, what we do is we're very systematic and inside of what we've got as the fitness operators for responsible reopening. We want this to be something where every other piece of cardio machine is shut down so that you create at least six feet, usually eight to 10 feet between people. And then they're staggered in front so that you don't have someone right in front of another person on a piece of cardio and the same on the floor. You make it a mandate for people when they check in that they understand that that's part of the process. And then you have team members who have to police that on the floor. We've done it in other states, uh, both Planet Fitness, Orange Theory, uh, and O2. And it, it, people are respectful when they want it when they come back in. The gym is a place for mental health as well as, fitness, as physical health. And I think a lot of people are missing that in a stressful time. And what we're seeing from our members when they come back in, they're grateful to be back in. They'll follow all the procedures they need to, and they want to keep themselves and the other members healthy. All right, Doug, very quickly, one word answer. Optimistic, yes or no? Yes. Okay. We'll be checking back with you. Doug Warf with O2 Fitness, thanks, thanks very much for your time. Coming up on WREL, scenes like this. Beachgoers enjoying the Memorial Day holiday weekend on the North Carolina coast. Our data trackers explain how cell phones give researchers a better idea of how we are handling social distancing. With phase two underway, restaurants are reopening. One local owner shares his experiences coming up. David, one of the trends we are keeping a close eye on this week in North Carolina is hospitalizations. Today, we hit a record high, 708 COVID-19 patients currently in the hospital, with 90% of hospitals currently reporting their numbers. The daily rolling average of hospitalizations has continued to climb over the past few days, with today's average sitting at 629, the highest so far. The spike alone is reason for concern, but this also means more beds are filled. With today's record number, the number of available beds in the state, both for inpatients and in ICU, is less than 25 percent. Well, Duke Regional ER nurse Ashley Wheeler, who bought video blogs for WREL, says she was concerned about an uptick of cases in her hospital. She is concerned that things will get worse with the easing of restrictions and people getting out to celebrate the holiday like we saw at the coast and downtown over the weekend. And thanks to our smartphones, there is already data available for how our patterns have changed in just the recent weeks. WREL's data trackers are monitoring these trends. Tyler Dukes has insight you will only see on WREL. North Carolina entered phase two of its reopening plan on Friday, just before the holiday weekend. And one big question was whether that change in policy was going to result in a surge of travel, people moving around more, less social distancing. Well, luckily, we can turn to data to help us answer that question. There's one look from the University of Maryland's Mobility Index. They're assigning every state a score from zero to 100, being perfect social distancing, 
And we can see from this chart that North Carolina's social distancing practices have been sort of a steady decline since early April, with the exception of the last week or so, where we started to see an uptick in social distancing, a little bit less mobility from the people of the state. That, though, on the decline again after this Memorial Day weekend. Look at very similar data from Dakar Labs, it's a data analytics firm. What they're doing, again, is taking cell phone data and trying to figure out how much people are moving around day to day. Again, that number on the rise over the month of April and into May, and another very similar dip as people travel a little bit less in late May, up until this last couple of days over the weekend where we saw another uptick in travel. Here's one more look this time from Apple. This is route request data through their app. We see a very similar curve, very similar dip, and again, a little bit more movement at the end of this Memorial Day weekend. Now, what all these charts seem to be telling us is that the travel over Memorial Day weekend wasn't necessarily a huge spike as much as it was the continuation of this trend that people in North Carolina are traveling more. Now, the big open question here is what impact that's actually going to have on viral transmission. Health experts we've talked to say that even if people are traveling around more, if they're wearing masks, if they're observing social distancing practices, that might not spread the virus quite as fast. So it's a big question as to what kind of viral impact we'll see as a result of this changing social distancing adherence. We're going to continue to watch those numbers and tell you what we find on WREL and WREL.com. Tyler Dukes, thank you. Hospitalizations and case counts are just some of the metrics we are tracking. And to find a case-by-case breakdown in your zip code, see testing trends and numbers statewide. Go to WRAL.com, search data trackers. Restaurants and other businesses are reopening and dealing with the new normal. Joining us now is Ephraim Yates, owner of Your Pie Carry. Ephraim, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Doing great, thank you. Hope you are as well. You reopened your indoor dining on Friday under phase two. What's changed? Yes, we certainly opened on Friday and we're you know really happy to have our customers in the dining room. We just miss seeing their smiling faces and I'm happy to report that business is starting to trend upward and that's, that's always a great thing. Have your customers expressed how excited they are to be back? Yes, I had one customer personally tell me, man, we've missed this place. You know, they hadn't dined with us throughout the social distancing, but he was just really happy to be able to sit down and have a conversation. And it was great. It was great. Have you been able to quantify how much your business has grown? I know you were still doing some curbside pickup as well as you know some delivery. So you didn't close completely. But how did your business pick up when you were able to open indoor dining? So I think um, the wonderful thing about the curbside pickup and delivery is that it gave us another business that now we've become really good at, right? And so what we've kind of seen is just as the customers begin to feel more confident coming out, that's sort of layered onto that business. And I would say, you know, we're probably up, you know, 10 or 15% in the first few days into phase two. And hopefully we'll see that 10 trend continue as, as the days get better and as this progresses for us. I know uh, some of the concern about reopening at 50 percent capacity is that the servers are not able to make as many uh, as much in tips as they had when you were open at full capacity. So how has your staff been able to handle this reopening? I think 
with everyone, you know, our staff, had they, they've really been troopers and I think they've taken it in stride. And, you know, surprisingly, you know, our customers have really rallied around us and the community has given us such great support. And even our curbside guests, they're leaving very generous tips. And so, of course, while tips are down and, you know, the dining rooms, you know, you typically get a little bit more. I think we've seen that, you know, customers have really been behind us and we've been able to manage and now we're just glad to be able to get some sense of normal in the dining room. This has been a long road for us. Uh, definitely. Um, and very quickly, my last question here. Have you received any federal funding yet? Last time we talked to you, you had not. Yes, and I'm happy to report that. Uh, we did receive funding from the Small Business Administration, and that is obviously, as with many restaurant owners, giving us much needed you know, cash flow, much needed financial runway to help keep our staff employed and ultimately, you know, ride this wave as until we can kind of get back to normal. So we're certainly thankful for that. That's great. I know a lot of people have turned to pizza during this pandemic. So we appreciate your pie and carry Ephraim Yates. Thank you so much for joining us.